Welcome to Prescribing Prosperity with your hosts, John and Alex Sutsos from MedWealth Financial Services, operating through IPC Securities Corporation. In this podcast, we provide unique insights into wealth management, the psychology of financial decisions, and help listeners place the capital markets into perspective. Our aim is to help physicians, business owners, and other medical professionals to live their dream. Life is to live and enjoy, so we'll also cover health and lifestyle-related topics such as food, dining, travel, and unique experiences. Learn how global trends shape our investment strategy as we help you assemble your roadmap to prosperity. Hello, and welcome to the Prescribing Prosperity podcast with your hosts, John and Alex Sutsos. Guys, good to see you again. I'm excited about the topic today, because in this edition of your podcast, we are going to be talking about probably the single most important issue, whether it be corporately or culturally today, which is leadership. And to help guide that conversation and give us his insight and guidance is Gino Farron, owner and founder of Farron Leadership Development. Welcome, Gino. Good to see you, John and Alex. Hi, Bill. Hey, How you doing, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Nice to be with you. It's nice to be with you as well. Alex, do you want to kick this conversation off? I uh, could talk. I could talk to Gino for about thirty minutes all by myself. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'll step in because uh, Gino and I are our personal friends, and uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps Gino, you want to tell the story about how you and I met. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. John and I met through my uh, lovely mother-in-law. How many people get to say that? Wow. Not too many. Not too many. I don't think so. 25 25 years ago now. And uh, when my mother-in-law was given uh, a contact in terms of investing some of her hard-earned and was put in touch with John and... um, isn't really a financial person. I'll say it. I'll say it that way. And so invited me to come along and say, Gino, can you help me out? Just making sure that I understand what's happening with my money and who John is and how he conducts himself. And, and so I did. And uh, I, I could say a lot more, but suffice it to say over and above John's expertise and professionalism was, was a gentleman and uh, someone who treated uh, my mother-in-law, to my mind, exactly as he would treat his own mom. So that was the beginning. That was the catalyst of our relationship. And I think uh, it's fair to say it's only broadened and strengthened over that time. Thanks for that anecdote, Gino. And uh, from my perspective, uh, when I first met Gino, I was very impressed by his um, professionalism. Uh, Sometimes you have family members come in to help uh, parents out, and um, they they are they are often confrontational for the sake of being confrontational without uh, any particular reason. But Gino was very thoughtful and uh, listened very intently, made notes, and then later would ask very uh, poignant uh, but thoughtful and relevant questions. So over the course of time, I I, I garnered a great deal of respect for uh, the way Gino behaved as a professional, as a person, and he very much impressed me. So uh, we've developed a, a, a friendship beyond the business relationship. Um, a disclaimer, Gino is also a client 
or became a client uh, long after his mother-in-law did. Um, but we maintain a, a good friendship, but I'm really impressed with his uh, knowledge on leadership, uh, especially, obviously, he runs a company based on uh, leadership training. And uh, we were very excited to be able to invite him uh, uh, to the podcast and, and pick his brain and learn more about leadership. Uh, on that on that subject matter, um, uh, clearly leadership is something that happens in a variety of areas of life. Uh, you have uh, leadership in families, you have leadership in business, leadership on sports teams, you have leadership in, in government and other areas. And I, I, I can start off by saying there's a vacuum of leadership in, in political circles these days. So we're going to try and focus on areas that we have some control over and, and, and have some greater influence on. And that is those other three areas. And, and Gino, uh, I like using quotes when I, when I uh, write my newsletters and I like using quotes when starting off conversations at times. So what, do you have a favorite quote about leadership? Oh, I, I have so many, uh, John, to be honest with you. Um, uh, and and really, they kind of all overlap, you know. I, I think the the best one for me is uh, I'm almost amalgamating a few when I think of people like Ken Blanchard or uh, Jack Welsh, famous CEO of GE, that I think Jack was the one who said, uh, to become a great leader, first, you've got to focus on yourself and becoming the best that you can be. And then when you're a leader, your focus is on helping others become the best they can be. And I really like that one. I think that one's short and to the point and summarizes in large part what I do for a living. Yeah. And and uh, I know with our conversation today, others will come to my mind quite organically as we talk about specific subjects. That that is a that is a great quote, and uh, Jack Welsh was certainly a great leader in his day. There are there have been uh, in all walks of life many great leaders, uh, and many of their famous quotes have been documented. Uh, one that uh, that stands out to me is from someone who's a lesser known, and uh, the quote goes like this: "A man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd." Max Lucado. And he's obviously he's an orchestra conductor. Uh, but I thought that was a great quote to, to demonstrate the fact that uh, you have to think a little bit differently in order to be a leader. And uh, the, and there are many other great quotes, of course, and we can't go through them all. But uh, I, I think that's a, a good starting point for this. Gino, you've, you've obviously you and I are similar in age, so you've had a lot of experience in life. And perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up in leadership and management development. Yeah, absolutely, John. And that is a great quote. I, I happen to uh, have heard that one and, and love that one myself. Yeah, it's, um, listen, given that it's over 25 years ago, in fact, more than that, I'll, I'll be brief and simply share that, uh, you know, as a young man, I, uh, I'll say haphazardly discerned early in my life as I was garnering an education that I thought I might like to teach in some form or another. And so, of course, in, in those days, I thought, well, I'll, I'll teach school, middle school or high school. I didn't really have uh, the thought to teach elementary school, but that, that was, as I say, haphazardly, yeah, maybe I'll teach uh, when you're 17, 18 years old. That's how the thoughts come out. 
And so that stayed with me. It was a bit of a seed. And over time, as I got to experience younger people, I myself being young, but doing a little bit of coaching as I played soccer, I thought the better of it and wondered if I had the patience to be a teacher, uh, which is somewhat interesting because now I'm actually quite patient uh, from most who have come to know me. But instead, I decided to go the business route. And again, not with any particular concrete goal in mind. Let me let me go into business. Let's learn about business and see where it may take me. And it was only after getting hired by Bell Canada in, in the early 90s, in fact, in their sales and service department, that I became aware of the formal Bell Training Center and how much they invested in developing their people, both technically and non-technically, and uh, I gravitated towards that and so started to formulate some goals, uh, started to ask questions, had had the distinct pleasure of having a couple of people that saw that in me as well. And we had some conversations. So there were questions like, where do you see yourself in five years? And as opposed to uh, letting go of that when I answered, well, I don't really know, they, they, they said, well, think about it and let's talk about it again in three months. And so they they kept the conversation alive. And so that that blend enabled me to continue to delve into and ask the right questions and meet some people. And uh, and eventually uh, it led to being hired within the Bell Training Department. And that's really where I cut my teeth and recognized in blending both my sporting background, which was an important part of my formation, and uh, being in this company that that truly valued and invested in developing people is is where I came to foster my enthusiasm and I'll say my passion for wanting to lead others, wanting to enable the good and the development of others. That that's what that's what happened some whatever thirty five years ago, and from that I stayed in their training department for some years and then uh, was looking to spread my wings and was hired by a Canadian consulting firm that was a train-the-trainer firm based out of Ottawa. And, and that was excellent for my career trajectory as well because it enabled me to travel all over Canada and the U.S. And so that's where I, unknowingly to myself at the time, began to build my network. So I was zigzagging North America in training trainers on how to train. And uh, but I came to realize that as much as I love facilitating, that my true passion really was management and leadership. And so that's when I began to explore what's next in my career and then worked for one other consulting firm based out of Ottawa, still traveling, but now focused on leadership development. And uh, and that led me to where I am today, some 22 years ago, where I uh, started my own practice. That's that's a that's a great journey, and obviously you 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 learned with every step in that journey. I, I was curious to know how did your experience in in athletics influence your your mindset about leadership and uh, and uh, approaching the objective of uh, teaching leadership to others, or how did you learn from leaders you came across in your in your athletic endeavors? Yeah, that's a great question, John. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, that question I answer regularly with my clients to this very day because I, I think there's tremendous synergy that I've uh, come to learn and experience over time. Part, part of that is organic. 
as a player on the field, I suspect somewhat from my parents and how I was raised and somewhat just within my own organic passion for for sport in general, in this case, soccer, which I played at the highest levels, I, I just came to be someone who took an interest not only in my own performance, but the performance of all those around me. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll get to this, but it just speaks to if I'm part of something in which we all have a common goal, i.e., in this case, to win a championship, then everyone has to care and everyone has to be inv be invested not only in their own performance, but in the accountability of everyone else's performance. That, that, that's interesting you should say that, Gino, because I remember here uh, watching a documentary with Mark Messe on the uh, uh, New York Rangers Stanley Cup victory and about how he, while he was on the bench, he was talking to the other players and he said, look, I'm only on the ice one third of the time. Two thirds of the time, the rest of you guys are out there. So you guys got to go out there and you got to do your jobs and do it very well because I, I can't do this by myself. And and I think you you uh, echoed that very clearly in your response. Yeah, and and, and that that's really fundamentally what what uh, what sport did for me, as I say, part of it was organic, and um, and and it was it was a wonderful metaphor, really for life, but certainly for leadership. And I began to recognize sometimes the hard way, you know, what what those influencing practices needed to be, what worked and what didn't work, uh, and and you know these these are experiences that I use to this very day. Thankfully. We've come a long way when it comes to leadership in terms of the research and the data we have behind us, because 25 years ago, there was uh, far, far less credible data and research around this subject. Yeah, I think, I think amongst other industries, but certainly the sporting industry lends itself if one, uh, you know, is, is so described to uh, uh, as a preparation mode for uh influencing other people to to greater performance greater heights of performance uh, that's great that's and 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 uh, that having raised two sons and uh in competitive sports i understand exactly what you mean and you come across all types of personalities and you and you learn from some uh, perhaps it would be helpful to take a step back at this point before we get into your company and first define what leadership is. So, Gino, how do you classify leadership and what are some of the key qualities of a good leader? Yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad you asked that question, John, because the truth is, as simplistic as that sounds, that has to be the starting point. And, uh, you know, for anybody listening today, uh, what's the definition of leadership? As I usually state, whether I'm in front of executives or middle managers, if you line up 100 executives from around North America and ask them to define leadership, you're going to get different answers. Right. And, and, and so it's really, really important to start with that foundation. And, and so although I have some latitude and flexibility, primarily as an organization, the way I define leadership is uh, a, a person's abilities to successfully influence others by unleashing their potential and the organization's greater good. That's, that's my that's, definition of leadership. Yeah, that, that, that's a that's a great definition. And when I was looking up uh, quotes on leadership, I, that theme was recurring. Many, many people kept defining leadership as um, bringing out the best in the people that they're leading and eventually creating other leaders. 
to take the to to help uh, in the leadership of any organization. So, in your twenty five years in business, what have you ascertained about the state of leadership today from your ongoing conversations with various business leaders across North America? Yeah, it's uh, you know the good news about my industry, at least from a personal perspective, is that. Uh, if anything, I'm more passionate about this field. I'll call it a field uh, versus a topic than 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 I've been at any other time in my life. For the reasons that you noted earlier, John, I think our, our societies need it. They they were 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 beckoning leadership, and um, you know it's so you know with that definition, the qualities of uh, of a leader. Obviously, there's many. And uh, when I say these, they, they may come across as cliche, but I think we need to start with qualities that actually have nothing to do with intellect. They're qualities such as character, humility, principles, and values. Uh, these are the fundamentals of the greatest leaders, as I've always intuitively believed and, and thought and even experienced but but I'm thankful that the data more or less validates this today when you look deeply into the research. Those those are the real qualities. We we of course uh it would be it would be silly, of course, not to note the fact that a leader needs to be intelligent and and wise and uh, and have expertise in a particular field or functional area, of course. But the reality is, as you would all agree. All executives are smart. All executives sure. have uh, have an intellect and an experience that lends themselves to the position. So what makes some really excel while others not so much? That's great. Thank yeah. you for that, Gino. That's, uh, those are excellent responses. Absolutely. And, and Gino, now that we've established what leadership is, can you tell us a little bit about your company, including uh, what your mandate is and uh, what the vision is for both the company and your clients? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Alex. Uh, absolutely. A great question. And um, I, I hope and believe anyone listening will recognize that in essence, in all that I've just shared, in reality, describes my company's mandate and vision. But put simply, our vision is competently and ethically and passionately equip people leaders with foundational and ongoing knowledge, tools, and tactics that when put into practice over time, result in polished skills and a healthy, positive culture that ultimately enables consistent high performance and therefore results. That's the vision of the company. And, and that's what we do through a variety of means and uh, and a variety of tools and uh, and even a variety of methods. Mm -hmm. And now, before I, I wanted to to ask you next to uh, what kind of companies you work most often with, but before we get to that, it it actually kind of jogged something in my mind when we were talking about sports and you know you you talked about giving people the tools in in order to succeed, and, and we've seen it a lot in sports where you see different leadership styles that exist. And, and I'll get into that a little bit later on about uh, different leadership styles. But when you have different types of leaders, when you're working with them, and when your organization is working with them, does that differ? Does that alter your approach? Like, do you believe that there's one fundamental way that a leader should be operating? Or do you work with the personality of the leader at the top of the organization and try to cater their practices and behaviors 
specific to their personality and the way they like to operate? Yeah, what a what a great question, Alex. It, what you the question you've just asked is is the heart of the matter. It's the heart of my industry, and and let me start with the easy answer. Yeah, you, the leadership cannot, if you're seeking long term success, be a cookie cutter solution. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's highly customized based on a variety of factors, uh, many of which you've just noted. Uh, but it always starts with what I believe. It always starts with like in any family. What's your philosophy? What's your mm-hmm. belief? What's your goal? And and so even that definition that I, that I shared with you, I, I typically get asked, and I will bring, put that on the table, and and then get feedback. And sometimes we need to modify the definition. And so it it starts there. If we've got a really good aligned foundation in the philosophy of what this particular executive or executive team is seeking what their goal is, um, then it typically flows much better. Then, then when right. we can get to, you know, the how and and the what um, and the timing of, of what we're going to do, and 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 there's a lot of complexity within that because, as you say, when you when you now start to impart knowledge and and skills to leaders with the different personalities, with the different experiences with the different backgrounds, whether it be educational or cultural or both, one size does not fit all. And, and that's the challenge of my industry. You know, I, I half joke that the uh, ultimate book I'm going to read as I uh, get to the end of my career, and I'm not there yet, but to your question, Alex, the book's going to be called The Mortar in the Bricks. Oh, wow. And the reason it's going to be called The Mortar in the Bricks is because we all see the bricks. We all know mm-hmm. the mandates of our businesses, whether we're in healthcare or manufacturing or IT, technology. We all know what we're in business to produce or what service we're providing. And of course, mm-hmm. we focus on it. But the truth is, as it pertains to leadership, as it pertains to equipping people with what they require in order to be their best, to continue to grow and develop and perform, mm-hmm. that's the mortar stuff. So I'm not, you know, I I somewhat at times unpopularly will state to an executive, you know, the mortar, uh, no one ever looks at a brick house and comments on the mortar. But if you don't have well-mixed and well-laid mortar, well, then those bricks are going to fall. And uh, so that that's really what my business is. That's a phenomenal analogy uh, or metaphor, Gino. That's, uh, that's very impressive. So yeah, good for you for com- coming up with that observation. Yeah, I, I hope uh, I no think... one listening is going to steal my title now, but you know what? That's okay. It's copyrighted. It's this, copyrighted. this whole thing is copyrighted. This Everything's has been documented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do, I, I do generally want to come back to different leadership styles later on, but perhaps I'll, uh, I'll park that for now and we'll bring it up when we talk about inspirational leaders. So just uh, we'll put a pin in that for now, but sure. going back to just your company and, uh, and your organization, what types of companies do you tend to, work most often with? And do you find that you work a lot with organizations of a certain size or in a particular industry? Yeah. And the short answer is to your last question, no. Uh, and I say that thankfully, Alex, because uh, as as uh, we all no doubt recognize, uh, people leadership applies to all industries. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've had the great pleasure of working with with so many, uh, as I've I've noted, some of them manufacturing, healthcare, 
technology, startups. And, and I love that about my industry. It's, it's rightfully generic in that it's, it's required and necessary regardless of what you're producing or selling or servicing. And, and so, yeah, that's lent itself to meeting extraordinary people along, along the way, including people that differ. You know, I, I, uh, I mean, as probably is true in all of our businesses, some of the richest conversations are off-record conversations, right? Yes. When we're when yes. we're uh, breaking bread together, yes. or sharing a coffee or a drink together, and we really can can get underneath on what do you really believe? Right. Um, so that that's what it's afforded me, and so yeah, industry-wise. I continue to seek to expand our footprint, but yeah, not not limited to any industries. Although I'll say that, you know, the manufacturing industry and, uh, you know, food services industry, those are tough businesses because in essence, they're 24-7 businesses. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have great appreciation for those businesses that are looking, especially manufacturing, keeping people safe keeping people engaged, keeping people motivated, enabling their development and valuing, valuing them as people um, while hitting your, your numbers and your results. That's uh, that's lofty air. Yeah. Uh, it, Alex, if, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to interject here because he, uh, Gino triggered a thought in me. I was reading a book uh, and I don't recall if it was on leadership or about something else, but in the book, it, it talked about, and this is based on a true story about a, a steel company in the United States uh, that was having uh, some difficulty and they changed their leader and the leader showed up at the press conference. And this is back uh, in the, uh, I think, 1980s. And Bill, you know, if you if you listen to the story, you might know who I'm talking about. But he got up there and he said that uh, when they asked him what's his number one objective, he said, my number one objective is to have no accidents in the company in the next 12 months. And um, the, the reporters in the room ran to the telephone booths uh, in the hallway and uh, called their stockbrokers and said, sell my shares in this company. This guy's a nutcase. And as it turned out, um, his focus specifically on increasing the safety level of the practices in the business resulted in more buy-in from the employees and resulted in greater cooperation between management and employees and eventually resulted in the company prospering to a much greater extent. And I don't remember the name of the company. It's an American steel company. Uh, Gino, do you know who I'm referring to or Bill? Do you, does that anecdote trigger any thoughts? It, 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 you know what? It's, it's niggling on the edge of my brain and it, it probably at some point during this podcast, I'll shout the name out, yeah, yeah, but yeah, okay. no, you, you, it's, it's there. And I do remember the, uh, the story you're talking about. Yeah, so, uh, John, could it be uh, Barry Waymiller, Bob Chapman? It, it could very well be. I just simply don't remember. But I was wondering if you remember the name of the company that they were the head of. But I, I think that speaks to the the process that you were describing in answering Alexander's question. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And if, if that is him, you know, Bob is has become somewhat of a a, a celebrity leader, although he shuns the limelight. Because uh, you know, in, in, during the uh, the oh eight oh nine financial crisis, uh, and and his company is a billion dollar steel heavy machinery manufacturing company, 
Barry Waymiller. Uh, great story. I, I think you could see this on YouTube if you uh, if you Google Bob Chapman. But remarkable, and, and it shouldn't be remarkable. In my view, it should be the norm. But in essence, his his executive team came to him and said, listen, Bob, we've lost 30, 35% of our market share. And I'm paraphrasing here. I may be a percentage or two off. And and so we, we, we've got to let people go. We've got to let people go. We have no choice. Uh, of course, this was happening uh, across the board during the financial crisis. And Bob refused. You know, I, I won't give you the long form of the story if anyone's interested, but it's remarkable because Bob said, these are the same people that helped us have record profits for the last almost uh, 10 years. And now we've got um, a crisis that is, of course, no fault of their own. And at, at, at first signs of trouble, we're going to let these very people go. We're not doing it. So we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how we're going to keep our people. And in essence, they created a furlough program. It was something to the effect where they mandated everyone in the organization to take five weeks of unpaid vacation so that everybody could keep their job and they could keep the costs in check. Wow, that's very creative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and listen to this, just to, you know, Bob, uh, a, a senior person now, still the head of the organization. Here's what happened because of the culture that he had built over time and just that act that he was doing countercultural. Here's what happened. Anybody in that organization who was, say, of a, of a younger tenure, uh, i.e. maybe newly married, maybe just bought a home or just had a child, what started to happen organically through no mandate of Bob or the executive team is uh, these tenured people would approach the younger tenured people and say, listen, I know it's probably not easy for you. If you'd like, I'll take some of those unpaid vacation weeks and you take my weeks so you can get paid. And that's wow. actually what happened. Wow. And I think they lost less than 0.5% of their employees during the financial crisis. So you talk about leadership, there it is. Wow. That's what, a, that, what a great story. That is a Absolutely. phenomenal story. Yeah. Bill, Bill was kind enough to uh, give us a quick um, uh, message on that. So apparently it was Paul O'Neill from Alcoa Steel, but that's oh. a, a phenomenal story as well, Gino, just the, and and it speaks really to what you were describing earlier, where the, the leadership uh, having that ability to set a, an environment and a precedent that permeates through the organization so that people on their own go out of their way to help one another and to make one another better and further the organization's well-being is uh, is truly remarkable and and very challenging and as you mentioned the manufacturing uh, industry and the food industry it's it's becoming and it has become a, such a commoditized space that there's a lot of pressure to to maintain and cut costs and it, it would be very easy as you would mention to just you know go and hey guys we got to lay off X percent, but to find a, a creative solution like that is truly, truly remarkable. So uh, with that, I'm going to uh, flip it back over and uh, into what we were discussing and just say, you know, in, in your experience, Gino, what are some of the common mistakes or issues that you see at these organizations, which impede the growth and development, both by the company and its employees? Yeah, another great question, Alex, and, and an important one. You know, far too many organizations, in my view, lack the discipline. And that's a hard word. I'll look in my own mirror and and uh, often say, Gino, you need to have more discipline. It's it's a heavy word. We don't use it that often. Or when we do use it, we use it lightheartedly. 
of course, go ask any person who is at the top of their profession how important discipline is. And I think you'll quickly see just how pivotal and how much we should be exploring that. But organizations lack the discipline to follow through on what they instinctively know is uh, is important, which is continuously investing in your people. And uh, it's 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 counterintuitive that when there is a market downturn, um, that that now uh, you know layoffs are amongst the first things on the table on how we're going to hit our number. And uh, you know, you know, off the record, my conversations with executives always lead to this. I would be happy to have a debate with any executive in the world as to the merit of leadership from a results perspective, from a cost, from a revenue, from a profit perspective. But I acknowledge they got me on one point. There's only one point where this comes somewhat tumbling down, meaning the investment in providing for your leaders ongoing. And that's a short-term incentive. Mm -hmm. In other words, far too many executives off the record, thankfully, not, not very many at all, if any of my clients, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to say, but in my you know 25 years in this business, will say to me, Gino, I'm not paid to worry about what this company's health is in five years. I just got to get the number for the next two or three years, and then my turn will be gone, and I'll go, and someone else will worry about it later. Right. So think about the incentive from a decision-making perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I, actually, I think there's a, sorry, dad, before you jump in, I, that reminds me a lot of sports, you know, you see it a lot of times in, uh, in professional sports and I only bring it back to sports because it's something that a lot of people uh, take pleasure in, uh, in observing, but you know, you see it in sports where uh, people say, oh, they make a decision and they, they go out and they acquire a player or sign a, a free agent and they say, well, that's fine. And by the time this contract looks really bad, I'll be long gone. And and that's such a, a poor mentality to maintain, especially and not just especially both for a business and a sport, because you are basically punting that problem to somebody else down the road and you are throwing everybody else who's going to maintain who's going to be part of the organization and that in the future under the bus. And, and it does not create a very conducive atmosphere or environment for people to build success for the long term and, and to achieve a greater deal of success. You know, the way I think about it is in, in hockey, uh, the Detroit Red Wings for a long time were a great organization where they did a great job of building and maintaining a great team while also adding to their pipeline of prospects and developing it and then eventually bringing those players up to the NHL level. And they had a a continuous run of about 25 years of uh, of success and actually before we got on the uh on our call here we're talking about soccer Manchester United was another organization like that for many years and uh, it's the same thing in business you know you don't want to just have a, a myopic short-term perspective you need to be thinking in multiple stages you need to be thinking in the short term the one to three year the three to five year and then the five to ten and and longer window as well for whenever you're whenever you're operating. So I think that's a, that's a great observation, Gino. The key uh, word, that, in, sorry, sorry, I thought you were done. Uh, the, the key word in, in this exchange was incentives and incentivization. And you see it uh, in all walks of, of life, uh, especially in politics, other politicians are incentivized for short-term gain and uh, don't pay attention to the long-term. Uh, so incentives play a big role. And uh, how do you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you approach the subject of incentivization, Gino? Is there do you uh, 
come to leaders and say, I think your incentivization in your organization is is not right and you should consider this or that or? Well, it certainly comes up, John, and, and it comes up, obviously, listen, uh, fundamental to my industry is a word we haven't used yet. And, and the word is trust over and above what we may know about, you know, our, uh, our, our business relationships and business development. I should I should preface this all by saying I don't I think I said this in my opening. I share this with all my clients. I, I tell them all I am not politically correct, but I define <laughs> I, I define that as meaning I tell the truth as I see it, fully aware that at times I may be wrong or we may not agree, and that's okay. But mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say something for appeasement's sake because when I engage with a client, I want good for them. So we need to discuss what good is. And at times, if that good doesn't align with uh, what my good is, i.e. values or ethics or principles, then I'm comfortable to walk away and um, and, and not walk away with any anger. Um, I, I'm friends with some of these people. But again, if you're not philosophically aligned, it, it's like saying you want to go somewhere, you want to go skiing and I want to go to the beach. <laughs> there's there's really no in between there um so we either have to discuss which one we're going to go and maybe the other one next time but you know we have to be honest so so hold that, on hot tub on a mountain hybrid hybrid yeah yeah but you know so trust is a big big word we have to get where you noted alex we've got to get to the conversations of what what are your goals are they short term and long term and, you know, the battle of short term and long term, in my view, is that how can any person, let alone an executive, in truth, state on the record, I'm not worried about the health of the organization when I depart, uh, because then it becomes a much more complicated discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and and we have to go there sometimes. And at times that's uh, the end of that is I'm, I'm probably not the right partner. And that's OK. And, yeah. and and we move forth. So I'll get in there. 15 years ago, I was afraid to have those conversations I'll, I'll share. But now I'm I'm much more comfortable and vulnerable to just say the truth. And if we're going to have a relationship, let's make sure that it's mutually beneficial. And, uh, and let's have that right conversation. But that entails trust. And again, trust is one of those qualities that very few people invest in. And it's like money. If you yeah. don't invest it wisely with a long-term uh, thought, then it's uh, it's fleeting and mm-hmm. and it comes and goes and and there is a cost to it even if we don't measure it. And yeah. It's interesting you bring up the the subject of investing in money because while you were answering the question, that's exactly what I was thinking of is the incentivization for someone in my capacity as a portfolio manager is to produce good short term numbers so we can keep people invested on, on a quarterly basis. But the truth is you can't control the short term. Uh, your target at all times has to be the horizon. And so uh, as, as a portfolio manager and leading my clients' uh, wealth into the future, I'm focused on that horizon and I'm doing what I think is going to help them achieve that objective over time. And sometimes you have to sacrifice short-term uh, goal attainment uh, in exchange for the longer term goal attainment, which is always the more important of the two. But people get distracted by by other things, uh, especially in the media, and and it undermines their investment process. So, anyway, back to you, Alex. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good um, analogy to draw because it, it, a lot of people tend to be 
I think about it in terms of like being a, a subway driver versus a, you know, an airline pilot as the, as the portfolio manager, you need to be like the airline pilot where you're focused on the long-term horizon and destination. And a lot of people uh, tend to actually operate more like the, um, more like the subway operator who's going from stop to stop to stop. And, and I think that's true of the, uh, of the leadership uh, business as well, where a lot of people are, are like that. And I think it's unfortunate because going back to Gino's metaphor of the bricks and mortar, you need to have a good foundation. You know, the, the fundamental of any business is that it has to be a going concern, which means that you expect the business to continue into the future. And if your only focus is on the short term, your ability to maintain that going concern is uh, is called into question and potentially puts the uh, the organization in jeopardy because of the fact that you're only making decisions that are going to be beneficial in the in the interim and trying to meet your short term objectives. Uh, and, and you know, you know, going back to the foundation, you want it to be a solid enough foundation that the company continues and it, it is stable enough to continue to survive uh, in perpetuity. But um, going back to your company and your uh, your mandate, you know, the last question I'll, I'll ask you before we switch topics is, what kinds of tools do you and your team have to help deliver this mandate and to help uh, help achieve the vision that you've outlined for both you and for your uh, your clients? Yeah, thanks for that question, Alex, and and uh, it's an important one. And and again, I uh, uh, a word that always jumps out at me, and and when people ask me to describe, you know, what is it the organization can provide? Agility, agility is is uh, is fundamental, and and within that agility, meaning obviously to be flexible, flexible. And if I'm meeting any potential client partner for the first time, it's really about asking good questions and listening. Mm-hmm. That's that, and getting to know each other. Which, to your point, by the way, we might as well as as I speak about my organization, building trust is like the foundation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to the mortar in the bricks, when someone sees a beautiful home, how often do you hear them comment on the foundation? <laughs> Never. Now, now ask any homeowner if they care about how well built the foundation was and you get your answer. And it, it, it astonishes me to some degree, to some degree, I think it's explainable by the pace of life and what technology has done to our lives, where we think we can build trust with uh, one five minute coffee with somebody or a quick conversation in, in your office. And it's just not true. It's just not no. possible. We're, we're just lying to ourselves. And yet I have never heard an executive, well, I've heard one in my career. So let's say none say to me, I usually give them a choice. How important is trust to the overall health and success of your business? And I give them three buckets, not very important at all, somewhat important or critically important. And as you can imagine, 99.9% of business leaders, executives say, Gino, critical, trust is critical. But then when you follow it up with, so what's your trust, what's your trust strategy? What what's what are the tactics that you employ to build genuine, healthy trust? Mm-hmm. And there's no strategy. There's just no strategy. Yeah. So again, it's like money. I would equate it to basically having money and you put it under your mattress uh, because you're afraid to lose it. And when you wake up 15, 20 years later and you go to use it, well, it's purchasing power has gone down tremendously. So you lost money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's uh, it goes back to what you were talking about before about the uh, 
the whole notion that it's the the off the record conversations are the ones where you really build that trust. And I, I think it's it's something that we've lost to a certain extent in the last few years as a result of the pandemic, the the virtual work environment, people, it, it, it takes a lot of time to build those relationships, to build that trust and to have those conversations off the record. I, I remember it at my first job, just how much I enjoyed the peripheral aspects of the job. I just love socializing with the people that I worked with. I worked with a lot of great people. I was very fortunate. And, you know, the jobs that I've had since then, uh, since during the pandemic, uh, in particular, it was, it, it was definitely more challenging. And you can certainly appreciate why a lot of organizations are trying to get back to an in-person model, not because they're trying to justify the the physical investments they've made in infrastructure, which I'm sure they are to a certain extent. But more importantly, the value that's created from those in-person interactions is is immeasurable and it's difficult to quantify. And I think that's why a lot of people think that we can do without it, but it's so important and it's so crucial. Um, anyway, dad, I'll, uh, I'll flip it back over to, uh, to you so we can uh, move on to, uh, to the next topic of uh, inspirational leaders. In the end, when it's over, all that matters is what you've done. Alexander the Great. Gino, who are some of the leaders that you, that have inspired you over the years? So many, so many, John, and, and I'm happy to say that, you know, some some, some that stand out to me, uh, both from from the past and, and to today, Mother Teresa is uh, an exceptional leader. Uh, if you study her life and what she accomplished and how she influenced people to to a cause for greater good, Winston Churchill and actually not even merely for the military prowess and, and success, but especially the inspirational aspect of rallying people and touching them, not just in the mind and in the heart. Um, yes. And a couple mm -hmm. of modern examples, uh, you know, which I haven't spoken to. Uh, Ken Blanchard is uh, someone who's given his life work to leadership dating back to the late 60s still alive today he's you know he's called the chief spiritual officer of his company now called the ken blanchard companies uh who i've had the pleasure of, of meeting and i'm certified in one of the best leadership uh, workshops in my view in the world that's studied at at the postgraduate level called situational leadership too so he he's been a, a tremendous uh inspiration to me and um yeah, these are uh, the, the these are these are the people that really and, and there's so many more. There's John Maxwell, um, you know Daniel Goleman in today's mm -hmm. day and age, who's brought emotional intelligence to the forefront of uh, of leadership. Um, and I'm an avid reader. You know, I Harvard Business Review and MIT right. Sloan are regular aspects of my of my month to month journey and keeping up with what's what's happening in in the industry and what's happening within the landscape of leadership. So those those are a few names. That's great. And those are all a uh, very impressive list. I, I don't know if I'm redundant in in this question, but what are the particular qualities that individuals you uh, that that you both admire and are applicable? Sorry, let me re rephrase that. What are the particular qualities these individuals have, which you find both admirable and applicable to today? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question, John. I'm gonna—I I, want to scream this one out. 
number one is humility. It's it's the number one trait. That's interesting. And I'm I'm so happy that uh, uh, a tremendous book for anybody who has even the slightest interest in leadership it should be on your on your list, and it's called Good to Great. Oh yes, I love by that a book. professor yes. named Jim Collins, a yeah. Stanford professor. Yeah. Um, and whether you read the book itself or you listen to it on Audible, I did both. What's nice about the uh, the Audible version is that uh, a Jim is the actual author, uh, the reader, and he provides quite a few additional anecdotes on the Audible version that that are not in the book, but. Mm. You know, uh, for and and just so people know, anyone listening, that book was the result of a five-year research project. We're wow. not talking about a book where we interviewed a hundred executives and five years of researching all public-traded companies in order to ascertain what makes a company great versus just good. And mm. uh, I'm so thrilled that humility in this five years of research was a recurring theme. Um, I'm not giving too much away, but can you imagine how many companies they researched? And uh, I think it sounds like, Alexander, you've read the book, John, you've probably- yeah, I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. It's right over there. <laughs> there you go. Do you, do you know how many were great? And yeah. this was over a 15 year period. We're not talking about five years or 10, 15 years, 11 companies. Yeah, wow. 11 companies were great. And what they found in these 11 CEOs who didn't know each other, this wasn't a boys club or a, or a you know, a big P, uh, affluence club. Um, these people had great humility. And so mm -hmm. that's by far one of the greatest qualities that people who want long-term health and good for their organizations, for their employees and the communities in which they do business, exercise great humility, not great ego. Well, you know what's what's interesting, Gino, as you answered that question, it reminds me of the Pareto principle. 20, 20%, 80-20. Yeah. Uh, so 20% uh, do 80% of the work. And in essence, your response uh, is, is the same. You're saying that uh, 11 companies out of however many companies, maybe it's not exactly a, an 80-20 rule exactly, but you get a small number who do the great things and the rest are also RANs. And when we look at our, at the stock market, for example, there's uh, the S&P 500 has 500 companies, but it seems to be 10 companies that are leading the way uh, in terms of uh, market size. Why? Because they're doing something great that attracts more capital to them. So it, it's, uh, it just, it bears uh, in essence, through uh, all aspects of life. How have these individuals, Gino, you know, impacted the way you serve your clients? Tremendously and, and daily, uh, John. These are, uh, as I said to you, 25 mm -hmm. years ago, it was a tough argument uh, when an executive would say, Gino, instinctively, we we think we we believe this is good for us and for our leaders, but but what's the data? And and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of reliable data to lean on. To, to give them and show them the case studies, uh, you know, I, I, and so I'm pleased to say, of course, in our uh, perhaps saturated world of analytics, that we at least have um, a great deal of really sound, solid data, such as Colin's uh, work in Good to Great, to be able to bring case study uh, and show the numbers behind why uh, the investment makes sense. And so these people... 
Influence Me Daily. Ken Blanchard is still in business. It's an organization that I partner with regularly, um, you know, reading articles from Bob Chapman and, um, and, and people in history and bringing this to the conversation with these leaders. And as I think I heard you all acknowledge, you know, these off the record conversations, that's where I've got to put my influencing hat on when when a leader says, Chino, you make sense. It's a compelling case. It, it's it's likely the right thing to do, but we can't do it, you know. Right. And uh, and and that's you know that's probably the most frustrating aspect. Where off the record, some will acknowledge that it's it's the right thing to do, and yet for one reason or another, and usually it's more than one, just not having the wherewithal to follow through and say, let's invest in our people, let's invest in our leaders ongoing, and we will all be better off in right. the long run. I, I, th- I think that speaks to um, the uh, leaders trying to satisfy multiple constituencies. They, they they have their primary objectives, but they have these other constituencies that have a, a financial influence on them and or, or a constraint on them. And therefore, they can't really do what they really want to do. And it takes a... a a special person just to to stand back and say, I don't care what anyone has to say. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. And uh, this is how we're going to move forward. And then uh, if it means uh, uh, that they have to take the fall, uh, then they take the fall. But if, uh, if they can stand through all the um, uh, blowback, then they become an even greater, more inspiring and more, uh, more aspirational and more successful leader but very few very few have the ability to withstand the the public backlash that comes from it especially in today's day and age where the the public opinion is so loud and and eminent everywhere uh it it's very challenging to stand there and and take all of the abuse and the flack that comes from not following what the quote-unquote majority or the vocal majority vocal minority if you will uh wants you to do it's always uh, the vocal minority that are are, are pushing. Yes. Uh, Gino, I wanted to ask you a, a question going back to what we discussed earlier, which is uh, different leadership styles. And I think now is probably a good time to uh, to insert this. So as you can imagine, there are there are many different types of leadership strategies. We've seen them in uh, throughout history. We, we've seen ones that are people who are more taskmasters uh, rather than collaborators. And to give a couple of examples, I know you're a, a Montreal Canadiens fan, so... Uh, your your buddy Scotty Bowman was the ultimate taskmaster uh, to the point where Steve Shutt actually I believe said uh, one time that for 364 days a year they hated him, and then on the 365th day they got to win the Stanley Cup, and so uh, they were willing to put up with him. But he was far from the only one like that in the business community. There was Steve Jobs who was a a true taskmaster. Uh, Lee Iacocca who got a lot of praise from people as being a great leader was a again another big taskmaster versus some people who are more collaborators. Uh, the most you know, famous one I can think of in my mind would be Phil Jackson, uh, the coach of the Bulls in the 90s and then the uh, Lakers in the 2000s, uh, as well as somebody like Glenn Sather in the NHL. And so what I wanted to ask you is, is there one leadership style which you believe tends to be more successful on average? And has that changed over time? There's two answers to that question, um, uh, Alex, and and the first one again is is based on on the incentive. Um, 
if I have a goal, a business objective, uh, a KPI, key performance indicator, a, a result that I must uh, attain over a short period of time, then uh, you've got quite a bit of arsenal in which you can look at and employ one. And to your mm -hmm. point about the, you know, quote unquote, taskmaster uh, or direct leadership style, uh, authoritative, of course, that, that can garner results, but short term, not long term. Yeah. The data shows overwhelmingly that you will, you know, hence sometimes companies bring in someone to kind of turn a company around. They know they're only going to be there 12 to 24 months, if 24, because there'll be a mass exodus uh, right. over and above other things. But you know what? So let, let's talk more about, uh, you know, the majority of companies, I will say, in order to... Uh, a, be an effective leader, i.e. get the best out of people. And when I say get the best out of people, it's not it's not like squeezing a rag, you know, to dry the water out. Getting the best of the people in which they themselves uh, want to be the best they can be and are, are open to learning and new ideas and being coached. So um, le so leaders with that, with that mindset um, need to have... Uh, quite a bit in their toolkit. I often use the analogy of a carpenter, you know, mm -hmm. when the carpenters, whether it's at their truck, right? And before they go to the job, they're looking, okay, what am I doing today? What are all the tools I need to succeed? And what are some tools that I need to take just as, as contingencies in case things go wrong? And now, so you've got all the tools, but now you need to recognize where the opportunity is to use the right tool for the right reason at the right time to get the right result. And mm -hmm. that's lead and that's leadership. So you, I, I think you can hear in my answer, um, simple to talk about, but quite complex to be able to put into practice on a consistent basis. And that's what we do. We seek to provide those tools to say, Alex, you might meet someone who's very direct and mm -hmm. is very analytical and is very introverted. And then a peer of theirs on the same work team is very extroverted and a risk taker and needs a lot of social interaction and needs a lot of detail. So how do you reconcile those two? And most leaders will articulate one communication to both of those people and expect the same result. And when they don't get the same result, they point the finger. So they'll say, mm -hmm. what's wrong with you, Alex? And, yeah. you know, this is a, a, a you know a metaphor a metaphor with a bit of a you know humor that mm -hmm. I sometimes do when I've got really good trust built up. Those types of circumstances, they'll say, "Well, Gino, what's wrong with this person?" And you know, I'll say after doing my due diligence, I think I know. Can I show you? And they'll say, "Sure." And I put a mirror up in front of them. <laughs> nice. And of course, I get the usual responses. What do you What do you mean? It's me. You're saying it's me. I say, yeah, it is you. Do you want to explore why it's you? It's not because you you've got any malintent. Mm -hmm. It's just you're you're not looking at this in the manner in which setting that person up for success entails a different form of communication style, for example. Right. And so, to answer your question. This is why the Ken Blanchard's program is one I espouse greatly called situational leadership, because it empowers a leader to understand four different leadership styles that provide for all circumstances 
of all people and personality. So we have situational leadership mixed with, with something called everything disc, which is a personality and emotional intelligence model. And we blend them together to impart these knowledge and tactics and tools so that over time, leaders get better at recognizing that example I gave you and mm -hmm. will stop and say, wait a sec, I better communicate this to Alexander this way because right. I know he doesn't need the detail. But to John, I'm going to take an extra four or five minutes and I'm going to give him more detail because I know he appreciates that. Both for the same reason to get the same result. Yeah, That's effective leadership. How many times have you been punched in the face for sticking a mirror up in front of somebody? <laughs> Nobody yet, John, although I'm waiting for it. <laughs> I hope you have I hope you have some uh, self-defense moves. Uh, tuck that chin in, Gino. Uh, <laughs> one quick follow-up question to that before I, uh, I let you take it back over, Dad, uh, to finish this section. But do you think, and I think I know the answer based on what you've already said, but do you think it's important to have different leadership strategies at different points in time for an organization, you know, whether an organization is at the the growth stage versus the mature stage in their life cycle or, you know, the uh, uh, the startup phase? Like, do you believe that it is important or imperative to have different strategies and different styles at different points in time? Yeah, as as you allude, Alex, absolutely. Again, I, I, I stress it starts with philosophy. We've got different people. Uh, with with different backgrounds and different experiences, even different motives, motivations, mm -hmm. right? And and so, it, it it in my view, foundationally, no, that's leadership, influencing people to bring out the best, to garner the best of their capabilities from their mm -hmm. aptitude and their and their desire to do the good work that we're paying them to do, but not only do the good work to feel fulfilled, you know, that right. ever elusive job satisfaction title. Mm -hmm. uh, as I often say, what do you feel when you pull into the parking lot or you pull up or you walk up to your computer if it's at home? What do you feel about starting another day? Because that's the litmus test of that. So once you've got that common foundation of what leadership is, now, of course, you need to have a variety of strategies and, and tactics at your disposal in order to manifest those conditions. Right. And you know the conditions are this, if I have a problem or I'm stuck or I'm worried about something or I'm confused about something, how confident am I to come to you, my leader? That's the litmus test. And you see, that's where trust comes in, not intellect. It's got nothing to do with functional expertise. It's my confidence in being able to come to my leader because it's culturally acceptable to say, Alex, I have a problem. I need your help and mm -hmm. not have you perceive me as weak and as somebody not doing my job. Now, of course, I, I'm obviously not advocating that if Chino comes to Alex every day uh, consistently, often for the same things, at some point you may ask the question, maybe Gino doesn't have the competency to do the job. Maybe right? Gino's a goldfish. That's right. Maybe he's a goldfish. But yeah, so to answer your question, Alex, you've got to put in that tool belt a variety of tactics and tools so that we're employing the right leadership style, right, to the right person to get the right results. And right. and that takes real practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, back yeah, to you, Dad. Gina, you know, the, the passion, the passion in Juno's voice is uh in his responses is phenomenal. And and I, I can't tell you how that appealing 
that is because uh, I personally am very passionate about what I do. And clearly Gino is passionate about what he does. And you, it, it, it resonates in his, in his responses. And just the, the, he makes this interaction that we're having today just so much more exciting and appealing. And uh, thank you, Gino, for bringing that to the table. Is there a difference in qualities required to lead in different industries? For example, are the skills required of a coach in sports different from those of a business executive? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, that's a little, almost a little bit of a loaded question, although I <laughs> love the question. You know, uh, speaking of Jack Welsh, I go back to him. If you read his book, you know, one one of the comments he made in his book, again, I'm paraphrasing, was uh, I wasn't the expert in any of the functional areas in which I had, ca- I had accountability for. Um, that wasn't my job, to be the expert. My job was to ensure that my executive team had all of the knowledge, skills, tools, and resources to do their jobs and to remove roadblocks and act as a sounding board. And and that really resonates with me. And, you know, your point about sports, I often bring these analogies to, to, to my business because I actually believe that business can learn a lot from sports. Here we are in this analytics-driven world, right, where I think we could, I could certainly make an argument that we're oversaturated, you know, with regards to that. But if we use them appropriately, and in the analogy of sports, you know, we they're coaches, aren't they? Whether it's a, a hockey team or a football team. And in truth, I'll take it right down to the collegiate level, certainly in the U.S., but even in Canada, that, you know, uh, coaches of, of female teams, of male teams, um, what's a coach? You know, and, and there there's alignment to leadership because I think, we mix up what we call coaching. You know, coaching is actually something you do once people possess competence, right? Once they have the knowledge, right? So I go to school in primarily uh, to acquire knowledge with the hope that once I graduate, even if I had a little bit of opportunity to gain maybe some practical experience, but all in all, I've acquired knowledge. And once I graduate, what's the expectation of what I'll do with that knowledge? Put it into practice, right? Right, right. But as I put it into practice, I'm going to need a sounding board. I'm going to need somebody to give me some feedback and give me some, inform me as to how my progress is or when I'm struggling, how to overcome what those struggles are. So, you know, teaching is imparting knowledge. Uh, Coaching is to refine and enable the application of that knowledge. And I find that, for example, to your point, John, that in sports, most of the coaches, we call them coaches. To me, they're managers. They're more managers. They're managing the day-to-day. They may provide um, some strategic aspects to the tactics of the day of tonight's game, of of next week's game. But uh, coaching is literally sitting down with somebody or a group, right? Could be defensemen, forwards in football, the defensive side, right? And uh, reviewing performance and asking open questions and seeking to identify where we're really good. Let's keep doing it, reinforce the behavior. And where we're really not, let's talk about this together. Why is it that professional athletes get feedback every day? And most of it, by the way, is positive, right? Is it just to feed their egos? 
And how often in business do we give people regular feedback, especially positive? Because, of course, when someone does something wrong, we're pretty quick to act, aren't we? Sure. We've got, we've got to redirect and we've got to correct that. But when people do good work, how often do we give them positive feedback so that we can build their confidence and reinforce the good behaviors? Right. Right. That's uh, that's bang on. Absolutely bang on. What would you say are the most critical foundational knowledge and skills in order to build the basis for a highly effective, consistent, successful leadership? Well, you know, John, when I when I think about that question, um, knowledge and skills, I'll park the skills for a moment. And I I, I do believe and I've come to see and learn and 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 listen to leaders who have had great success. I'm proud to still be working with many of those that I call my clients, my partners to this day. So I actually start with, you know, non-skills, things such as humility, self-awareness. There's a big one. Your ability to be introspective and look at yourself through a clear lens. In, in Colin's book, Good to Great, there's a chapter called The Mirror and the Window. And uh, phenomenal that these great companies, every time they succeeded, the CEOs gave the credit to the employees and all their staff. And when they failed, they looked in the mirror. They didn't look through the window and they stood up in front of everybody and said, it's my responsibility. We had a bad quarter. We didn't give our people what they required in order to set them up for success. Hence the humility and the self-awareness. Self-awareness is correlated in this big topic in which we often provide many of our leaders emotional intelligence. Um, and then on the skill side, I think the two premium skills amongst, uh, along with strategic planning, having a strategy and a vision is communication, listening and influencing. Um, you think about those skills. If you're an executive, who would who would ask you, are you a good communicator? How many executives do you know that might say, I think I'm decently effective, but I think I could be better. Do, do you know any executives I, that would say that? Well, and me, I, I, I would hope most would say that. Well, me too. And, you know, if I had a dollar for every employee of these executives, whether it's a VP or a director or a middle manager that says, Gino, my leader is tremendously smart. They almost always say that. But as far as listening goes, for example, not a very good listener. Why is that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. those those are those are the skills and, and the attributes that I think lend themselves to a person becoming a great influencer. And, you know, John and Alex, uh, sometimes people say, Gina, what's the most important thing that a leader has to have? And, and uh, the good news about this answer is it's just uh, one word, followers. Mm, That's what a leader leads. If you yes. don't have followers, then you can't lead because who are you influencing? Right. But when people freely choose to say, I want to follow Alex, I like the way he operates, I like the way he conducts himself. By the way, way down on the list, believe it or not, is, and I admire how smart he is. Although people do, they most certainly do, it's not in the top three as to why I love following this person as my leader. Right, right, right. That, no, that, that makes that's sense. A, yeah, that makes a sense. ton of sense. 
All right. Well, uh, I know we're uh, we're running short on time here, Gino. So I'm going to uh, move us to the last section here, uh, which is uh, technology and the evolving landscape of leadership. And so uh, one of the things that I know uh, you wanted to discuss and uh, we wanted to discuss with you is how has technology impacted the state of leadership and by extension, the leaders themselves? Has it been a positive development or has it negatively impacted the way that individuals lead? Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to answer that uh, in all likelihood, probably for at least some, if not many, listening to this unpopularly and saying it's worse. Yeah. It's worse um, because uh, and, and here's why. Here's my rationale, both experienced and in the data that's coming in. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I only use COVID as a marker in history because, of course, it it turned our world upside down, at least for a period of time, although that's not the primary influence of, of how I'm answering. Leadership is a human endeavor. If you remove human beings from the equation, then uh, it, it it would be very easy to say technology has been very good. And and by the way, there has there are there has been and are positive aspects of how technology can augment our ability to effectively lead. But overall, I would say negatively because with more many more people re- working remotely from home, we're extracting the human interaction. Um, as wonderful as it is to see you all on screen, and, and it is, I call it a really good second place, but in my view, it's a long way off first place, which is in person. And you know, interestingly, um, uh, almost without exception, my clients, as we went through late 2020 and, and early 21, when I was doing uh, almost all my work uh, online, uh, w- once I got back, uh, face to face live with with my with my organization to the person they said Gino you know the online was it was good I mean solid we know you and it, but it's nothing like it is when you're here in person with us and uh, I think that speaks to your question so listen technology can help we give means for people to be able to learn things um, on the go self paced learning it's good. But in terms of truly being an effective influencer and building trust with people and getting them to freely want to follow, you need human interaction. So to that end, I think we've gone too far, and I'm hoping we're recalibrating back to a more central place. I, I send a few hallelujahs to that response because I, I can't tell you how frustrated I am uh, in today's world with the lack of human interaction and, uh, you know, it, it is extraordinarily frustrating. Uh, everything is uh, an email or you're talking, uh, speaking with a chat bot that uh, is trained to try and respond to you. And uh, it just doesn't get done unless you're speaking to another human being. I called an insurance company yesterday and and uh, the first 10 minutes were an exercise in frustration as I had to interact with a chat bot until I finally got a hold of a human being and then uh, had the issue resolved. So uh, thank you. That's very insightful. Yes, I'm I'm laughing because I heard that interaction yesterday and <laughs> screaming at uh, a computer that only hears the first response that he says and it means nothing. So he's getting himself all worked up for not I a whole at, lot. I yell at my car computer as well. Uh anyway, I'll ask you one more question, Gino, and then uh, and then we'll sure, get Alex. to wrapping things up. Sure. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, do you find there has been a change in the degree and quality of skills development offered internally by different organizations 
Uh, you know, for context, you mentioned er that early in your career, Bell offered a variety of skills training opportunities within the company. And in my experience, I actually found that my uh, the company I used to work for, CI Investments, used to offer that as well. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you, are these, you know, are, are these opportunities still offered today? And um, if if not, why do you think that is? You know, it's better. It's it's it's. I say it's better. It's better than it was twenty years ago. Ten years ago, um, you know, moderately better. So on scale, I believe that organizations are at least attempting to provide opportunities for their for their people. Now, listen, opportunities is a broad term. What kinds of opportunities? Um, are, are, are they in face-to-face -face form? Are they all online? But right. just from a simplistic opportunity perspective, it, it's gotten better. No doubt when I speak to even people who aren't clients, do you have opportunity if you want to develop in one area or another? And usually the answer is yes, to some degree. I think the question is more around the quality of those opportunities to develop. And, uh, you know, in our ability to actually measure what their impact has been. And, uh, you know, that that I'll say, Alex, it's kind of a, a carry over to your question. But, you know, when you, you know, one of the things that good to great validated, by the way, I love that book. But the truth is, and I say this with all humility, it honestly simply validated what I've experienced in 25 years in this industry and what I believe is a human being. We're human. We're social creatures. That, that's just an unequivocal fact. And so here's what happens when leaders are equipped with the right knowledge, skills, uh, tools, and resources, and ongoing support to create the conditions in which people freely want to be their best. You know, it, it Ken, call, Ken Blanchard calls it giving discretionary effort. Gino, why did you come in early and why are you staying late? Well, not because my leader told me, because I want to. Mm -hmm. I want to get a little extra work done. I want to do a little bit more. It's called, and why? And, you, you know, it's, I, I ought to say this. I know we're short on time, but I really ought to say this fast. Uh, a, a very, very interesting piece of data that's come out in the last few years, which doesn't surprise me, but it is what it is. You know, uh, our, our our parents, and Alexander, you're on here with your father, and certainly my uh, grandparents, John, yours, the word loyalty was a very important word, not just in, in families and in society, but in business. Loyalty to company. And um, over the last 25 years, loyalty to company has been regularly uh, and uh, consistently dropping no longer the same loyalty to company. And uh, I, I won't go into all the rationale why, although I'll say predominantly it started in the 80s when for the first time ever layoffs happened. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as time went on, people started to learn, oh, so if we're not hitting the number, you can be laid off even if you're doing good work. Yes, that's the reality. So it stands to reason, even at that level, if not for many more reasons that, Loyalty to companies have gone down. But here's what's interesting and equally sensible. In the last 20 years, loyalty to exceptional leaders has gone up. And so here's how it translates in this modern technologically driven world. 
If I work for Alexander, who I love working for because he's an exceptional leader who values me as a human being and seeks to set me up for success, albeit at times challenges me but helps me grow, leaves the company and goes to another company. And then six weeks later, picks up the phone and says, hey, Gino, I have this great opportunity at my new company. What are the odds that Gino is going to follow Alex? I would say high. Very high. And companies have started to learn that. And so the influence of great leaders is, but Gino, do you not like the company? No, I like the company and I like the job. But you know what? I work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And life's too short to work for any leader except one who truly values me as a person and doesn't merely see me as a means to their end. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to leave. You're working and, for the people, not the logo. That's And so there's a high cost to that, to the company, right? Because I'm sure I don't have to remind you the cost of replacing another employee, both mm -hmm. hard and soft costs that, that we lose. So that is an inverted, right, uh, access of loyalty to companies down, loyalties to exceptional leaders up. And uh, in a day and age where we can now, uh, we're always, you know, search companies, search firms, and Indeed and all the platforms, it's very easy for someone to leave a company and seek an environment that's more conducive to what their goals are. So uh, leadership plays a big part in all these things, as I think you can, you can ascertain. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate that, uh, that Gino. And we we've really appreciated this uh, this subject. It's been a, a fascinating discussion, and it's it's been a true pleasure getting to uh, to speak with you today. Where can people learn more about Farron Leadership Development and get in contact with you? Yeah, thank you, Alex, and I've enjoyed it myself. Thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> I think you two both know we've we've merely scratched the surface as uh, yes. as long as our talk yes. has gone today. But <clears throat> but that may who knows maybe maybe I'll come back again if you'll have me. But listen, folks can go to my website fairandleadershipdevelopment.com. We're actually in the process now of of updating and adding some some new exciting tools that I'm very excited about to further help leaders. They can email me at, at Gino Farron at Farron Leadership Development. They can find me on LinkedIn. So any of those, uh, there's a free consultation in it. If any leader or, or organization wants to talk to me a little bit about uh, potential uh, development for their leaders, um, we, we set up a free 30-minute consultation and we'll have a good conversation and see if we can uh, help each other out. Excellent. I, Thank I, you, I just wanted to uh, step in here and um, and and just give my last two cents on this. Uh, Gino, it's been an absolute inspirational afternoon uh, being here with you and listening to you respond to our questions. If if I were to draw an analogy to sports, I would say today you were Babe Ruth at the plate and you hit every pitch out of the ballpark. Wow, what a performance. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you this afternoon. Thank you, John. Thank you, Alexander. Bill, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Gino. It, 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 it's been a pleasure listening to this. I got to tell you, it's, it's great. Alex, I didn't mean to step on you. Oh, no, it's okay, Bill. I, I was just, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to uh, to Gino. And 
I uh, just wanted to give a, a quick shout out before we, we throw it back over to you. Uh, my dad and I were at the Argos game this past weekend. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't go very well. But uh, <laughs> one of our friends who uh, who sits in our section, uh, my dad's a season ticket holder and uh, has been for 20 odd years now, almost 30 years. And so uh, Tristan has been a loyal listener of the podcast from day one. And uh, we just wanted to uh, to thank him for for listening and, and giving us his feedback. And he's told us how much he's enjoyed the podcast so far and how helpful he finds it. And so having people like Gino on here is a, a tremendously insightful uh, uh, learning opportunity for a lot of people. And so uh, Tristan, keep listening and uh, we hope to keep bringing you good content in the uh, in the future. And uh, I'll turn it back over to you, Bill. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. And I'm going to do uh, I'm going to exercise a, a, a little bit of what was mentioned early on in this podcast, which is some discipline, because I could uh, I could ask, you know, a lot of different questions. It was a great conversation. Uh, I echo John sentiments as well. Gino. thank you very, very much. Before we go, go, go guys, uh, John, Alex, we know how to get a hold of Gino. How do we get a hold of you guys if we want to have a further conversation? Yep, absolutely. Uh, everybody can go to our website, which is medwealth.ca. That's M-E-D hyphen wealth.ca. And they can find all of our contact info on there, including our phone number. Email address is info at medwealth.ca. And uh, we're also on LinkedIn and Twitter, or X, I should say. I always get that uh, mixed up. Uh, everything is on our website, though, so you can head on over to medwealth.ca and get whatever you need to get in contact with us. And the old, the old-fashioned human way is nine zero five five six eight two thousand one triple eight five six eight eleven seventy. Just one question, John: Do I get a chat bot if I call that number? Absolutely not. <laughs> this is the last organization that still values human beings with the exception of Geno's who, who also is not employing chatbots. So for those NVIDIA share, stock shareholders, be careful. There's a, a comeback in, in human interaction. <laughs> You'll get an earphone, not a chatbot. Oh gosh. I yell at them too, John. Don't worry. I, I yell at them all the time. Oh, listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this conversation. I'm sure you found it as useful and as interesting as we did. And it begs the question, if you're not a subscriber, why aren't you? It's easy. The subscribe button is right there. Just hit subscribe. That way you don't have to think about where did I hear this podcast or when does a new one come out? It will be delivered to you automatically. That's the good part of technology. On behalf of John and Alex and everybody at MedWealth Financial, I want to thank you. I'm Bill Tucker urging and reminding you, don't wait. Live your best life today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Prescribing Prosperity. Visit our website at med-wealth.ca. That's med-wealth.ca for more information or to connect with us for a consultation. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and their guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of IPC Securities Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified and licensed financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment or retirement planning. 
MedWealth Financial Services can provide a private consultation to help you determine the suitability of any guidance discussed on the show. 